Pod Squad. We are going to be back with you on Tuesday, September 1st to start season two of Pass the Hot Sauce. But this is Lorena. And I'm Aliza. And we are here to talk to you about some of the things that we are super excited for in season two as the two members of this team who have seen the entire series before. And we're also going to go through a bunch of the predictions that Lisa had during season one and see what was she right about? What was she wrong about? So if it wasn't clear from our intro, this will be a spoiler-filled mini-episode. So if you are one of our listeners who is watching along for the first time, please do not listen to this episode yet unless you want to know about what's going to happen in season two, because we will be spilling the beans. All right, so let's dive in, Aliza. Do, uh, what are you most excited for in season two? What is your favorite thing that you're looking forward to happening? Um, oh, that's hard to answer because there are a few of them, but I do, I really like the dupes. I like that our actors get a chance to play totally different characters, albeit with horrible New York accents. Um, oh, the worst and, like, accents. fake piercings and tattoos and stuff, but, um, but I find them really fun. And it kind of answers more questions about, you know, the aliens and the design that placed them there and all that. Yes, though, that is a really fun little arc of episodes. I had so much fun rewatching those. Um, How about you? What are some things you look forward to? My favorite plot element of season two is uh, the series of episodes that we get with Lori Dupree and her grandfather mm. being the um, DNA donor, as it were, for Michael. Um, and I really wish that that would have been a bigger arc in season two and that we would have maybe gotten to discover who some of the um, DNA models were for our other aliens, because it's very clear that Michael's DNA, human DNA of his hybrid form was pulled from Lori Dupree's grandfather. And I just loved that whole dive into uh, his backstory. And that series of episodes was a lot of fun. I liked those yeah. a lot. I also, if I can mention one more thing, I also really like the like crystal, the blue crystal uh, alien thing that takes over Grant Sorensen because it's like actual sci-fi. You know, like, most of what we get is, like, teen drama with, like, sci-fi on the back burner. So I like that the sci-fi is, like, Mm -hmm. front and center. Yes, and that also kind of tied into the Laurie Dupree plot line because those sci-fi magical crystals are going after Laurie because she has that weird genetic problem in her blood, which is exactly why her grandfather was able to be used as a DNA sample for the hybrids. Good yeah. sci-fi shit. Um, but overall, when I think of this season overall, like I feel like there's much more that happens. There are a lot of like little storylines um, that are all kind of exciting. Yes. It's not just kind of this overall storyline. Um, but there still is that. Uh, yes. But I feel like there's just more action and I like that Liz kind of, like, has a backbone. Liz is different in this season. Yes, she's very different. Her separation from Max over the summer has, like, put her in a very different spot in season two. Yeah. 
as she's like standing up for herself and what she believes in much more fiercely. Mm-hmm. And I'm into it. Um, but yeah, everyone is suddenly older and sexier. Yes. You know, they, like they seem to have forgotten that they're in high school. Yes. Especially with yeah. the girls. Isabel and Maria, for sure. Yeah. And um, in my head, like Maria's hair extensions are like explained in the season, but like they're really not explained in the season. I, so I guess that's just our headcanon that uh, Isabel made Maria's hair grow long. Like, I mean, you can't really overlook talking about that when talking about season two, because she went from having a pixie cut to having, like, the longest, curliest, voluminous locks in the span of one year. Yeah. And, like, even from the end, I'm trying to think of what her hair was like at the end of season one. It wasn't the pixie cut anymore, but it was still short. Yeah. And they keep talking, in the first episode, they keep talking about how, like, three months has passed yeah since the end of the first and the start of the second and like that's not enough yeah which should be like an inch and a half of hair maybe if you're like really healthy so if anyone knows or anyone like what does the fandom say about this uh feel free to email us at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com if you know about this or about why Lorena has this idea that Isabel made Maria's hair grow uh, let us know if you know something we don't. Yes, please let us know. Um, all right. So now uh, we touched on a couple of things we're really excited for in season two. So we also wanted to take a few minutes to go over some of our co-host Lisa's predictions. As you all know, that is a recurring uh, segment. At the end of every episode, we get Lisa to tell us what she thinks is going to happen next. And uh, in season one, she had some really accurate predictions and also some like crazy out there predictions. So we thought it would be fun to revisit some of those and see how they're going to tie in to season two and those things that we're going to have to keep our lips zipped about in the main podcast, but we can talk about here. I know. I'm excited to not have to be like limited and like watching what I say. Yes, me too. And like, yeah, she did. You'll see. She did do a pretty good job with predictions. A lot of them are true or right. And I can't tell if it's because the show is so predictable or because Lisa is so smart. Maybe a combination. Yes, I think it's a little bit of both. Sometimes things do feel predictable or like they are definitely leading us in a certain direction. But she has some things that I think are pretty, uh, pretty, they seem far-fetched at the time, but definitely came true. So, mm-hmm. Like in Heatwave, when she predicted that there would be more horrible treatment of the indigenous people, she was not wrong about that. No, she was not. But also given the way that they treated our indigenous characters earlier in the season, maybe not super far-flung, but... You know, we yeah. did get a brief, brief insight to them again, and it was never super, uh, super wonderful. And just the fact that they're not represented, it's still not represented. Yeah. Is, is treat- bad treatment, you know? Um, well, one of my favorite predictions, which is actually from our producer Ashley in our season wrap-up episode, Ashley predicted that our dreamers, Max and Liz, would be back together within the first four episodes, 
which, as you dreamers all know, it is going to take us the entire long, painful season for Liz and Max to finally come back together. There will be so much drama and so much sadness on Liz's part before they can finally see eye to eye again. And the whole future Max thing, I mean, it all, it really messes it up for them. But I totally understand that prediction and probably would have predicted it myself. Because Mm -hmm, in these WB teen shows, you know, like, the couple you love, they get back together, they get apart, they get back together. So you wouldn't think there would be a whole season of it, but I guess we'll see. As a lifelong Candy fan, um, I don't think I was ever particularly worried about the fact that uh, Max and Liz weren't together, even when I was watching it in real time. I was much more concerned that Maria and Michael were broken up at the beginning of season two than I was about Max and Liz. I think I was definitely a dreamer. I was more of a dreamer when I was a kid. I was Candy all the way. Team spiky hair for life. Like, I was always into, like, the original first relationship of each show. So, like, Buffy and mm-hmm. Angel. And, like, Elena and Stefan, which doesn't mean anything to you, but to people who watch The Vampire Diaries, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm always more on the side of whichever person I am the most physically attracted to. <laughs> and at that time in my life, that was definitely... Michael Guerin. Yeah. My beautiful, beautiful spiky hair. I'm also very sad to see in season two. I mean, perhaps styles had changed between 1999 and 2000, but he no longer has the spiky hair. And I'm really not as much of a fan of his season two hair, but sometimes it's a little windblown and tousled and nice. But in general, season one was far superior. It's long. It's like quarantine hair. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you know, absolutely. But he's not in quarantine, quarantine like, hair. Why couldn't he get a haircut? One that I think is a little off base, but is super amusing, is that right at the beginning of the series, uh, Lisa predicted that Michael was the true leader of uh, the alien group because, uh, and this is where it gets a little fun, but she predicted it was because the social hierarchy is based on hair quality. So you know, bringing in spiky hair that he had the superior hair. Um, And while that is not accurate, that he is not the leader, I do think that she is going to like when we get to the part with um, Whitaker and Courtney and their dissension as skins where they believe that Michael should be the leader. Yeah. Um, I think that Lisa is going to be here for that. Yeah, and that's why I like season two. Like, there's... There are all these little details, you know, that aren't mm-hmm. even like a part of the the whole big picture. But, you know, there's just so many little things that happen and kind of things to wrap your head around. Yeah, um, there's so many great like little mini arcs within yeah. the season. But you still have the kind of like overall arc of we now have the granolith and what is the granolith good for and like how are we getting home and where is this all going to lead that like some of those mini arcs tie in with like the dupes and the the bringing in of the other alien entities and Mm -hmm. wanting to bring them home and but they do it in all these fun ways of like bringing in these like smaller fun arcs and things for our characters to do on that overall journey yeah she also predicted early on, uh, or not predicted, but said she wants Maria to sing. 
And like, yes, not only does yeah. that happen, I think it, it happened even after she said that it happened in the first season, but then, you know, we mm-hmm. know that she sings more in the second season. Um, yes, I can't wait. I love those episodes. Like in Vegas. Well, I mean, I love one of those. Uh, the Las Vegas episode is a lot of fun. Obviously, Alex's death is not so fun, yeah. but we do get to hear Mahandra sing again in that episode. And she does have a beautiful voice. She also predicted at one point that Kyle would continue to be a jerk. And in the first season, like, he kind of is for a little while. But at least we we felt for him because Liz was really being unfair. Um, mm-hmm. But she doesn't even know about the second season. And, you know, yeah. anyone who's watched that knows that he has found Buddha and is, like, super different. And I personally oh, yes. love him. I love season two, Kyle. Like, what is there so not to like? much. And I love his, like, I love, too, the family dynamic that um, that builds between the Valentis and Tess with, mm-hmm. uh, with Sheriff Valenti letting Tess come live with them and her really becoming, like, a sister to Kyle and seeing Valenti as a father figure, which, much like Michael, has lacked a good father figure in his life, so has Tess. Like, Mm -hmm. she's had Nisado her whole life, who's a complete dickwad. And uh, so for her to have, like, some positive family dynamic, um, you know, it's hard to separate from where we know Tess will end up. But for the majority of the season, I really like Tess. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel for her, you know? She's had a hard childhood. Um, and yeah, the the dynamic b- between her and the Valentis is great. I'm I'm reminded of Viva Las Vegas when he finds them at the end and he's like, Kyle, get in the car. And then um, Tess turns to someone. And- she's like, oh, thank God I- I'm an orphan. Like, thank God I don't have parents. And he's like, Tess, you're not like, get in the car, <laughs> you know? And it's yeah, and like, like, no, oh, he, he considers her part of the family and he's going to yes. love her and he's going to discipline her like she's his daughter. Yes. I love that moment. Yeah. Me too. Towards the end of the season, she did predict that um, the pod squad will trust Jim and that Jim will help them. Though in mm-hmm. the in the very beginning, I think she... Didn't she predict that maybe he was going to be the fourth alien? Yeah. Yes, in the In the did. first episode, she predicted he was one of the aliens. Yeah. And yeah, how how much changed over that? season from going to thinking he's the fourth alien to just being in love with his beautiful baby blue eyes (laughs) (laughs) and she did predict also in max to the max i think she said um she predicted that max will have to choose between alien destiny with tess or human destiny with liz and that is Mm -hmm. a big thing i mean not just in this first season but it really is it fleshes out more in the second season. Yeah, it is like a that is a big arc of season two. And, Huge. you know, the reason that it takes the whole season for our dreamers to get their happy ending for now, because the whole season he's struggling with that dynamic, his love for Liz and his his duty to and and rediscovering his memories of Tess, who is his love in another life that he just, he doesn't remember. Yeah. I mean, and it, it is such a major plot point and it's such a major uh, decision in his life that even the future Max comes back to tell Liz, like you can't be with him. You have to push him toward her. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That you being together will cause the end of the world. Yeah. And you can't even tell him that. You just have to make him fall out of love with you. Oh, and the way she does that is so painful. That actually is another, like, just little moment that I love in season two is the not Max discovering Kyle and Liz together, but, like, the whole setup of that, like... Uh, Kyle's like just nice little helpful Buddha self and he's like yeah "Yeah, yeah." like okay we can just like lie in bed naked together and talk and like and she's like you do know we're not really gonna and he's like yeah yeah that's fine we're just like yeah I don't need to know more information like I know he's such a sweetheart naked and like have a nice chat like (laughs) oh I love Kyle (laughs) she also predicted in Foursquare that we won't hear where Milton is and she's not wrong no, she's not entirely wrong. I mean, we do get a semi-legitimate reason of why Milton is no longer present. Yeah. But even if Brody offered him a ridiculous amount of money, would Milton really sell his beloved UFO center and just, like, disappear and, like, go retire early? Like, he loves the UFO center. He believes in it so deeply. You would think that he would still want to, like, work there. Yeah, or still stay in Roswell and conduct his own research. Either way, we didn't get closure. And no, we that's did really not. upsetting, and I'm I'm worried for Lisa. Um, yes. You know, when she doesn't get closure on Milton, how she's going to react to that. I know it's going to be very hard for her. Yes, it's going to be <laughs> so hard for her. So in the White Room, Lisa also predicted, um, after all that trauma and torture... Um, she predicted that the psychological effects on the characters from season one will not be given proper weight. And while that is kind of true, you know, like they didn't like fully, fully explore the trauma and everything that they went through. I mean, season one starts with Max in therapy and mm-hmm. Isabel's in yeah. therapy, too. So at least there is some acknowledgement of um, the psychological effects of what they've been through. And that his parents see a difference in him and want to find a way to help, even if we don't physically see his parents in that episode or very often in season two either for that matter. Um, You know, there is, yeah, he's in therapy. There's at least another reference to it, I think, where it's mentioned that he's in therapy. I think when Isabel's talking to her mom at some point. So it is sort of like an underlying point that's brought up multiple times, which I think is good. Like, I mean, especially... 20 years ago I feel like therapy was still such a taboo thing 20 years ago yeah like oh you're in therapy like what's wrong with you and now I feel like oh you're not in therapy why not (laughs) like you should be in therapy everybody needs somebody to talk to um like how the world has changed in 20 years ago in 20 years but I do like that they yeah I like that they do at least bring it up they acknowledge that he has been through a traumatic experience and that he's changed by it and the people around him see that change and want to help yeah it's good and and you know it makes sense that we wouldn't have seen that coming Mm -hmm. um yeah just because of like (laughs) how out of the loop and clueless a lot of the adults in this show are yeah which you know now valenti is in the loop but Everyone else is going to stay pretty out of the loop, I think. Yeah. <laughs> what else are we excited for in well, season two? Honestly, like, I, you know, I hate that we lose Alex. It's horrible. The way it happens oh. is horrible. But it's it's good TV. Like, it's good story yes. writing. 
the, like how mysterious it is, how slowly the facts get revealed. Um, yes. You know, that, that Liz kinds of kind of like dives into it, like almost like loses her mind trying to figure out what happened. Um, mm-hmm. It's, you know, and like for me, you know, in sci-fi and stuff where there are dangerous things, it is important for a main character to die. I think. Yeah. That like a lot of yeah. shows that deal with dangerous things, but no one dies. It's kind of uh, not realistic. Not that yeah. this show is realistic in any way, but um, <laughs> but I do I do like the storyline. I hate that it yes. happened to Alex because he's the best, but it's a good storyline. Yeah. I cried a lot rewatching those episodes, yeah, but it awful. is good TV. It's a good story, and it like, and it it's sort of like the last six episodes of season one. Um, it might span a little more than six episodes, but it's a very clear storyline that it is all super connected to each other. Yeah. That uh, I feel like that is the same. Starting with Alex's death, we the show takes a turn towards the end of the season where everything really hangs in the balance on what happened in the episode before and like really leaves the viewer anxiously awaiting the next episode. Totally. So I do like... I do like that series of episodes, even though I cried a lot. I definitely yeah, cried a lot. I mean, lot. it's horrible. <laughs> like, it's awful. Yeah. Oh, now I want to cry just thinking about it. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, I just have to, like, go to Colin Hanks' Instagram and be like, oh, he's okay. He's still here. He's making bandanas. It's fine. Look at all his Hank- Hanks kerchiefs. So thanks for joining us for this conversation about season two and kind of wrapping up season one and seeing the connections between the two of them. Um, You know, it really just made me more excited to go through season two with all of you. Me too. I'm super stoked to dive into season two with everybody. So I hope you will tune in on September 1st when we start with our first episode of season two. And we'll be uh, coming at you with all this teen romance sci-fi goodness all season long. So stay tuned with us and make sure you follow us on social media where we are always doing fun things. Uh, You might even catch the very end of our top moment of season one bracket. If you listen to this episode right when it drops, we've been spending the summer going through all of our favorite moments from season one and inviting you listeners to vote on your favorite moments from season one. So on our season premiere episode on September 1st, we will be announcing the winner. You can see those brackets and a lot more on our social media at Roswell Hot Sauce on Twitter and Instagram. And you can look for us as Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast on Facebook. You can also check out our website for extensive show notes and information about us. And if you have any questions or comments or can answer any of our questions that we ask in our episodes, feel free to send us an email at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. See you in season two.